This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Today, uh, we're going to dive into uh, the scripture here uh, as we kind of get ready. And I, I just want to go just straight to the opening of Colossians. Look at this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, which is why you're going to see throughout this, this he's going to say we a few times, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I'm going to be honest with you. I feel a little embarrassed when I read that because when I write letters, I just go, hey, Jim. And, and he makes me look pretty bad right there. I'm just, you know, th- this letter is extremely eloquent. It's, it really is. And it's a letter that's being written to a church that's in a season. It's actually in a very difficult and challenging season. They're living through faithless times. I don't know if you take a step back and look around, maybe feel like we're living through times where uh, it, it feels a little countercultural to live by faith. And what's, what's kind of unique is that the Apostle Paul opens this letter by saying this is to those that are faithful, to the faithful at the church in Colossae, to the faithful. The, the word that's used there uh, for faithful is the word uh, pistos, which does not mean what it sounds like it means. I'm just going to say that again, pistos. All right, pistos means one who truly believes. All right, and oftentimes that word means one who truly believes in the promises of God. All right, so th- there are some of us who hear the promises of God, and, and we kind of dismiss them. Some of us who hear them and we, we struggle, then there are some who hear them and our hearts anchor in them. And the storms can come, and the waves can come, and the winds can come, but our, our souls are anchored into the promises of God. That's what this book is being written to, a group of people who are being faithful in very faithless times. You know, I've noticed this, we're all working to be faithful to something. Because faithfulness requires intentionality. It takes work. And you're right now at work in your life trying to be faithful to something. The things that we are faithful to, we sacrifice for. The things that we are faithful to, we rearrange our schedules for. The things that we are faithful to, our lives tend to wrap around them. So what are you being faithful to? Are you being faithful to your career? Are you being faithful to your bank account? Are you being faithful to kids and your family? And all of those things are good things, all right? Good things. But they're not God things. And when Paul writes this letter, he's writing it to a group of people who in the midst of persecution, difficulty, trial, are choosing, they're doing the work to remain faithful to God. Now, there are questions that we should ask when we study the Bible. And whenever we do a, a book where we, for a period of time, go through a book of the Bible and 
We're going to be in Colossians for four weeks. We're just going to take it real simple, one chapter a week, okay? And, and when we do that, we want to always start by asking questions we should ask when we're studying the Bible. And the first one is, who's writing it, right? The authorship matters. It helps us understand the perspective from which they're coming at. Number two, when was this written, okay? Help me understand the timeline. Is this early, late, all that stuff? There's implications for that. And then number three, why was it? What, what's the purpose for this? Because, you know, sometimes, I mean, you can say to your kids, get back. Don't go there. Don't touch that. And you're, you're talking. I'm like, don't touch it. That's your Christmas present. I don't want you to see it, okay? And sometimes you might say, get back, and they're about to touch a hot stove. Just the, the context matters to really understand what's being said. So let's go through those real quick. Who's writing this? This is the Apostle Paul. We just read the salutation at the very beginning of the letter. All right, we're going to find a little bit more context towards the end of this letter when he actually says that this is written in the handwriting of Paul, right? So he clarifies towards the end of the letter that, yeah, this is all coming from me, all right? But originally, as we go through this, you're going to see that there's some ideas that apparently Timothy was around, and that's why we see some we's in there. Now, if you don't know who Paul is, he was a religious leader that emerged right after Jesus, all right? Right after Jesus, the first time we see him, his name is Saul, all right? And he's holding a bunch of coats for people who are gathered around a young leader in the emerging church, and they're, they're stoning him to death. Literally, that's how they executed him. They took up stones, and they threw it at him until he died. And Saul is there holding their coats. Like, yeah, that's good. He's very zealous, very smart. He's part of the Pharisees, which, you know, they kind of get a bad rap during the story of Jesus. right? But these are guys who are very learned, took a lot of time in their effort to be very faithful to God and to the Scriptures. And as this new church is emerging, Paul thinks these guys are against what God really is doing. And so he's on road to Damascus, Syria, literally going to snuff out a church, more than likely he's accused in Scripture of going to kill Christians. And God intervenes. And he comes face to face with the living Jesus. And he's discipled, he becomes one of the most prolific church planners in the church history, plants churches all around the Mediterranean rim, is really giving credit for about half by volume of the New Testament. So who writes this? Paul, the Apostle Paul. When is it written? It's written um, during his Roman imprisonment. All right, so it, Paul, unlike us, like we, we step up and say, I give my life to Jesus, everybody cheers, right? You step up and do some good things for people around you and help them get close to Jesus. And people are like, yeah, what else can I do for you? Right? In Paul's day and age, that's not how it worked. He's actually arrested. He's eventually going to be executed for proclaiming the things of God. And as this all begins to unfold, he, he writes several of let, letters to churches that are recorded in Scripture. Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians. Philemon, these letters are born out of his time in prison awaiting execution. Now, here's the big question, why? Why did Paul write this particular church? He didn't plant it, and he had never been there. Why did he write this letter, and why now? And this is the beautiful story behind the book of Colossians. In prison, Paul meets two people. He meets a guy by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras is the guy who planted, started, 
and pastored the church in Colossae. And he went on a missions trip. How many of y'all have ever been on a missions trip, right? We raise some money, we get some stuff, we go out of town, we find a group of people that need to be served, and we serve them, all right? So he's on a missions trip from Colossae to Rome to serve Paul. And there he's telling them about, this is my church, this is all that's happened, and this is what we're coming up against. There's a lot of things happening in our city that are taking people and pushing them away from the things of God. So he meets Epaphras, but he also meets another guy by the name Philemon. Philemon was a prisoner. There's actually a book in, in your Bible that's written and entitled Philemon. It's another letter that the Apostle Paul writes and, and hands to this guy. This, this guy had run away from his master. He was a slave. And he had run away, and he gets caught and in prison. The Apostle Paul leads him to the Lord. Right, so now he comes to know Jesus, and when he gets out of prison, he's like, your job is now to go back to your master and restore this relationship. I'm going to send you a letter to go with you. Okay? And so here's the great connection. F.F. Bruce is, is a brilliant theological scholar who notices that at the end of the book of Colossians, the, the master that Philemon is sent to, his name is Onesimus. All right, and, and he gives him this letter, hey, I want you to restore, I want there to be grace, I want that relationship to be healed, I want there to be forgiveness. And then, at the very end of the book of Colossians, we see that this letter was to be delivered to that church by Onesimus. So here's what happened. The apostle Paul led this guy Philemon, he's going to send him back to restore his relationship, but he realizes, oh, Epaphras is here. That's his church. I, I can help here. I can, I can write a letter. I'll, I'll send it through Philemon. He can deliver it with Onesimus, and that way it will be received. They'll, they'll know who's sending it. It will be authenticated through that, and I can make a difference. You know, sometimes God guides us through the circumstances of our lives. Some of y'all have been praying, God, give me somebody who's hurting. I just, I want somebody that I can minister to and care for. And, and then all of a sudden, you're busy at work. Somebody stops by, hey, oh, I had a really rough day. Can I talk to you about it? You don't need to pray about it. God just intersected your circumstances. He just intersected your life. Sometimes God speaks to us through the circumstances of our life. And the Apostle Paul seems to be sensing that through this moment. So he wants to make a difference in this church that he's never been to. In Colossians 2.1, we find out he, they don't even know who he is. So where do you start if you want to make a difference in somebody's life? I believe Colossians 1, if we look at it through that understanding, Colossians 1, helps to answer that question. Think, think about that for you. Where do you start when God calls you to step into somebody's life? You, you want to help them with some of their problems. You want to help them with their finances or with their relationships. Where do you start? The, the last series that we were in, if you, you're around here, I think was a good starting point. We, we looked for three weeks at the statement that Jesus made, like get the plank out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of someone else's. 
where Jesus is essentially saying, sometimes we got problems that are so big, we can't see clearly. We need to address those before we begin to move in trying to help other people. Right? And we need to be careful about how we do that. We need to listen to the Father's voice in that because sometimes we just get a little gung-ho and get a little arrogant and we try to make a point. But more often than not, what we need to be trying to do is to make a difference because you can make a point or you can make a difference, but you can rarely make both. But I want you to watch where the Apostle Paul goes in Colossians 1, beginning in verse 3. Look at this. If you don't have your Bible, we have the big sky Bible for everybody. Okay? All right, here we go. We always thank God. Just right out of the gate, we just thank God. What's he thanking God for? We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We've heard of your faith and the love you have for all God's people. Just right out of the gate. Hey, we cannot stop thanking God for you. Every time we think about you, every time you come up in conversation, we just turn over, start praying, God, thank you for them. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for their love for people. Wow. That's where he starts. From the faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. What's going on? In the same way, so this is what's happened in them. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Now, see what he's saying here. It's not just like, oh, you come to church, you know, a little bit about Jesus. No, it's like, you got the, you, there's a people here who got God's grace. You understand God's grace. You get the tenets of the gospel. Now, watch this. You learned it from Epaphras, right? We learned. This is a guy who planted and has pastored the church. Our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister to Christ on our behalf, and who also told you, told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since we heard about all this, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God. So this is what he's praying for them. Look at this. I want you to pay attention to this. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have power and great endurance and patience and, may, and giving joy, joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Now that's a heck of a prayer, okay? I'm, I'm just going to say, if you're a parent, you might want to type that out and pray that over your kids. All right? I mean, that's a good, that's, that's so, you, you, got, you got a spouse that you see walk, walking through a difficult time? That's a, that's a good prayer. Just take it and pray that over your spouse. Pray it over your friends. Pray it over your kids. All right? It's so, compre- so beautiful. One, one of the things we study in theology when we're trying to understand how unique a book is, is we'll look at the original language and how many words only appear in this book comparatively to the other books, right? Colossians is, is the winner, all right? This is a very eloquent book. So watch how, 
he wraps us up. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son, of his son, whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I, I want you to understand where he starts in all of this. And if you want to make a difference, you need to start where he starts. If you want to make a difference, start with gratitude. If you want to make a difference, start with gratitude. If you're taking notes, I'd write that one down. If you want to make a difference, start with gratitude. There, there are far too many of us who just roll in like a bowling ball wanting to make a point. Okay, but really the Apostle Paul is so eloquently working through in here, right? And he's, he's showing us that if we, we want to slide into that sacred space in someone's life, one of the quickest ways to get access to it is being appreciative and being thankful. You know what else the Apostle Paul says in the Scripture in First Thessalonians? He, he wrote this, he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Which means you're never going to go through something where you don't have something to be thankful for. I mean, I learned this lesson this week. I don't know if I'm alone in this, but every once in a while I get mad with my kids. Okay, I have three kids. I have a four-year-old, an eight-year-old. They're both boys, and then their older sisters came. Okay, and every once in a while I just lose my cool with them. Okay, maybe it's just me. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe I'm the worst parent in the room. That's okay. Okay. And I learned something this week about Fruity Pebbles. Fruity Pebbles are delicious on their way down. But they are colorful on their way up. And we, we moved into a new house this summer. And um, most of the house is some kind of hard flooring, you know. And uh, we only have a little bit of carpet. And my four-year-old managed to throw up Fruity Pebbles on the one space that we have carpet. And I may have said some things that I would not repeat up here, just to be honest. I lost it a little bit, got pretty upset about that. But you want to know what? If I'm honest, there were years that my wife and I prayed for a kid. That we struggled, we struggled with fertility. It was six years in before we found out that we were pregnant with our ten year old. And if I, I took a step back and actually looked over that, I had a lot more to be thankful for than I did to be upset about. You know, your life circumstances don't have to change for your level of gratitude to change. Sometimes all you got to do is just take a, a step back and go, God, God I, I, I know that there are things about my job that are a, a little frustrating, but God, I, I, I prayed for that job. Thank you for that job. I know there's stuff about my spouse that swear me out. You know, they snore, and I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm not saying this has ever been me at all, but maybe you get out of the bed because you're frustrated and you turn on all the lights so that your spouse would have to wake up too since they woke you up. Again, I, I've never done that at all, ever. I've never done that. My poor wife. Oh, man. But it's not really that I need to fo I need to, I need to, God, I, I prayed for her. I believe, God, that you, you, you were going to bring her into my life. And there she was. And she's been so faithful and so good to me. There's so much to be thankful for. So much more to be thankful for than we have to be critical about. And then something happens if you pay attention as 
the Apostle Paul goes through that, is that his gratitude causes something to happen. I want you to see the second thing he notes today. Let gratitude motivate your prayer life. Let gratitude motivate your prayer life. For, for, for too many of us, a lot of times when good things happen to our lives, instead of them being sensed as like this is a gift from God, we think it's a gift because we're good. It speaks to our goodness, not God's goodness. But James clearly says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. It's not about how worthy I am. It's about how good and gracious God is. And when we start to experience that, gratitude shifts our prayer life. Do you notice what Paul said, Colossians 1, verse 8 and 9? For this reason, since we heard about all your love and your faith, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Well, what about instead of getting frustrated with your kids? Let me, can I just be practical here? Like my boys are not scared of anything. Like they just take off running, holding scissors, face in their eyes. They don't care. Like they are just like, I'm charging around this house. And sometimes as a parent, we just go, no, you're going to, cow dries out, it's going like to go straight through your skull. It's going to be poking out the back, you know. But what, is, what if instead we just said, God, thank you that they're not afraid of things. How many times has fear gotten away in my life? God, I don't want it to do that to them. But God, help them to find the right boundaries and to do that as painlessly as possible. I know some of y'all got some issues with your bosses. You're going to show up at work tomorrow and get frustrated. But that's a job for many of you you prayed for. You got in front of God and said, God, would you open that door? And what if you just took a step back and said, God, I'm so thankful that you brought me here. There's some challenges here. But God, help me to keep my eyes on the blessings. Give me wisdom to navigate the challenges. I mean, isn't that what we probably should be doing with our spouses, right? We don't need to be getting up, turning on all the lights at 2 a.m. because they're snoring over there, having a good night of sleep. Wait, you know, we need to actually take a step back and go, God, this is a little uncomfortable, but I'm probably learning more about me right now. This is true for our neighbors, for our jobs, for our families, that gratitude should motivate our prayer lives. And that's where the Apostle Paul begins. But where does he go next? Start with thankfulness, right? But then what? The, the, do you think he's going to start now with the correction, right? Because we know there's some stuff going on in the church that needs to be addressed. Watch what he does, because it's absolutely brilliant. Look at this, last verse we read. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The, the whole time he's been focused on them. We're so thankful for you, your faith, your love. He goes from you to we to he. Do you notice that shift? And then at the 
end of this first chapter of Colossians. He's going to present what's classically called the Christology of Colossians. And it is some of the most eloquent and beautiful writing about the person of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. And so instead of really just kind of taking some time trying to break it down, just pull out a few nuances from that, I'm going to read the whole thing. Because as your pastor, I want to read that over you. I want that to sink into your spirit. I want you to walk out of here seeing Jesus a little more clearly. So we're going to start. Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The image of the invisible God. For in him, all things were created. Everything that we've ever known or seen finds its origin in Jesus. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Why was this all created? While we get to enjoy it for a while, the ultimate glory for it all goes back to Jesus. Through him and for him. He is before all things. Which means that before all of this, there he was. He is before all things and in, somebody needs to hear this. I love this. And in him, all things hold together. If you feel like right now there are parts of your life or your family or your career that you're having to work so hard to hold it all together, you need to take a step back and put it in the hands of the one who was designed to hold it all together. In him, all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So, so as we all will die, Jesus in the same way experienced death, but what came back to life, so that in everything he might have not just the commonality, the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, the, the fullness of God himself dwell in him and through him not just to make a statement through him to reconcile himself to all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross here's the thing peace and the desire for peace the need for peace lets us know that there's the presence of a problem. And I want you to see something that we don't like, but it is very true. Your problems are directly connected to your relationship with Jesus. I like to think my problems are connected to other people's. The only reason I have that problem is because that person did that. And the only reason I have that problem is because that person did that. The only reason this is in my life is because they can't get it together and this and that and my neighbor did it. All these kinds of things, right? So why does he shift the focus from them 
to Jesus because the way you see Jesus informs how you see your problems. And if you don't see Jesus clearly, you will never clearly understand your problems. I want to give you three ways. If you're taking notes, these aren't your notes, but I'd write them down. Three ways that we don't see our problems clearly. Here's number one. We blame the devil when it's really God disciplining you. We blame the devil when it's really God disciplining you. Let me just say this. The devil is not responsible for your big credit card bill, okay? You are responsible for your credit card bill. It's you buying stuff you didn't need to try to impress people you don't even like, okay? That's what gets us in trouble, suspending more money than we should. And that's not the devil, okay? Husbands, let me just speak to you, okay? And a lot of times I've been hanging out with some guys, just hear some guys say, man, my, my wife has been hateful lately, just like the devil's inside her or something. No. You ain't been coming home until 10 o'clock. And when you get home, all you do is complain. You're not answering her calls or text messages. You're not honoring her. You're not treating her well. That, that's not the devil. That's the consequences of you not honoring your wife. And if we, now, now notice what it says. We blame the devil when it's God really disciplining us. You know the book of Hebrews says that God disciplines those that he loves. That he loves you, that from time to time he's going to show up. And in your relationship with him, he's going to discipline you. And the book of Hebrews also says that no discipline is pleasant in that time. Which means that God is going to orchestrate some stuff in your life that is not pleasant. And if you diagnose that as this is the devil, if you keep blaming the devil for things that God is trying to orchestrate in your life, you'll never get what God wants to give you through discipline. You got to see it clearly. Here's another way we don't see it clearly. We think our problems are teaching us about others when they're teaching us about ourselves. At two in the morning, when your spouse starts snoring and it wakes you up, and you get all frustrated, we're going to turn on all the lights and wake up everybody in the house. You are not learning about a spouse who snores. You are learning about your lack of patience, empathy, and grace. If you got that friend who always shows up when people gather together and they come over and they run their mouth about you and they say some things that are hurtful and offensive, and this is continually happening over and over and over again. Whenever they get in your space, they're hurting your feelings. Whenever they get in their space, they're saying some stuff. They're just absolute. The, the question, the problem is not really is that friend capable of kind of having some nice things to say. The real problem is why do you let somebody like that continually be in your life? Our problems, if we keep trying to think they're, they're teaching me about them, no, we, we miss what they're teaching us about ourselves. And here's the last one. This is my favorite one. When we think our problems are big, that's how we don't see our problems clearly. We, we, we think our problems are big, but our problems are big because we've made our God smaller. 
this week we were, we were talking about this at work, and Kevin, who's leading worship, just had this brilliant analogy. He said, you know, if I walk outside, I can grab my phone, I can hold my phone up, and I can block out the sun. Won't even see it. And we know this, the sun is much bigger than, than my phone. I know it's much bigger, but the, the problem is, is that I, I'm, I'm way too close to my phone I'm not close enough to the sun to see how big it is. It appears to be big, but it's not really. And there's some of us, we've made our camps. We've, we've camped out in our heart way too close to our problems. And when we kind of evaluate them in the perspective of our God, they seem so big because we've let them get so close. It's all a matter of perspective. It's all a matter of perspective in in life, I've, I've come to understand that you have got to fight if you're going to have the right perspective in life. You have got to work for it. You have got to fight for it. So he brings them back to focus on Jesus. Where, where do you start when you, when you want to make a difference? I, I don't know these people, but I feel like God's called me into this sacred space. How, how do I do this? Well, you, you start with gratitude and and thankfulness, and then, you know, you, you shift the perspective. And why, why do we do that? If you're taking notes, this is number four. If you want to make a difference, don't confuse who makes the difference. Don't confuse who makes the difference. Please hear me out. There have been plenty of times that I have prayed for people, put my hands on people, and prayed over them that, like that, they were healed. That was not me. Not me. Because there were a lot of other times I've, I've done that too. And it wasn't that. Th there have been times that I've sat across the table, held the hands of somebody, and just through tears they prayed and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and you see visibly that face change. doesn't seem like the Apostle Paul was confused about this either. He wraps up chapter 1 this way. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend. What, to what end? To proclaim Jesus. With all the energy, Christ so powerfully works in me. Let me just translate what he said. He's, he's saying, listen, we're working hard to point you to Jesus. That's, that's our goal as a church. If you didn't know that, this is every week. We pray, we work, we fast. We, we, we do all this to get ready to this moment so that we can point you to Jesus. It ain't never going to be a Sunday. There's going to be somebody up here. We're going to say, hey, point it. No, point at Jesus. Why? It's real simple. Because Jesus is the one who makes the difference. Jesus is the one. And the reason that the attention shifts from them and their great faith and their great love so abruptly to Jesus is because Jesus is the one who rescues. Jesus is the one who saves. You know, we're... 
living in a common culture to that first century church. Most sociologists say that right now our, our culture is what we call a post-Christian culture. That we, as Christians, are no longer the dominant cultural perspective that we live in. There's a little bit of pluralism going on around us. And in ways where we've seen people walk away from what we would say, this is central expressions of faith. And I believe in this first chapter, the Apostle Paul is showing us how to make a difference. And if you've been a part of this faith for some time, let me, let me just say this to you up front. What's he showing us? The world doesn't need to see a bunch of mean, judgmental Christians. The world doesn't need to see a, a bunch of us who, who claim to love Jesus but also complain about everything in our lives. I mean, listen, there are people far away from God that are watching your Facebook feed that know a few months ago you prayed for that job and you said God gave it to me and now you're complaining about it. The world doesn't need to see that. People who are far from God need to see gratitude in our lives. In many ways, modern American Christians have become a bunch of overly engaged and empowered, spoiled brats. Because what happens when you spoil a kid? You give them something really nice, and they don't say thank you. They expect it. How entitled are you? with the things of God. How thankful are you? I mean, to be able to step back and go, God, thank you for all of this. I don't deserve it. Thank you for a wife that loves me and kids that, that I love and I get to enjoy. And thank you for a home that we get to make a home. And God, thank you for the freedom to gather in a place like this. Do you know how many millions of believers across the world would love to just be able to thank God for that? And there's so much more that we have to be thankful for. And our gratitude towards Him is part of our testimony of His faithfulness and goodness. And here's the big thing. This is the big thing throughout this book, and I, I just want you to understand, we're going to keep hammering this for the next few weeks. It all comes back to Jesus. You want a better marriage? It all comes back to Jesus. You want to parent better? It all comes back to Jesus. You want to be a better friend? It all comes back to Jesus. You, you want to be a better boss? It all comes back to Jesus. You want to be a better employee? It all comes back to Jesus. You want to manage your money better? It all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.